Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip tackles questions such as, why is an investment plan important? What's the difference between a good bet and a bad bet? Why is the stock market going up while the economy is bad? What is currency risk? What is OPEC and why are they important? What should my investment allocation be if I'm 10 to 15 years from retirement? With the answers, here's Philip. All right, back again. I guess we're officially kind of out of quarantine here in Texas-ish. Uh, We're at stage two or round two or whatever you call it, open up phase two uh, of quarantine where I believe we can finally get a haircut. We'll see how that process works. Let's go to the market trend update. Based on our gauges, we still are in a recession from a market trend standpoint, which is crazy because people say, but Philip, the market has gone up so much. And I won't get into everything that we look at because that's a whole podcast episode. But the point is, if you go back and you look at, and and by the way, the caveat is no system is ever fully right. But all of our indicators still saying we're in a we're in a recession. And if you look at typical ones, look at 2000 to uh, 2003, that was a three year period. And in that, the the Nasdaq and S&P rallied throughout 2000, 2003. That's why it took so long. Same for 2007 and 2008. If you look at most of these big bear markets that that are, you know, w- with heavy debt, they last a while. Japan's <laughs> Japan's bear market lasted pretty close to twenty years, and so that's an extreme example, y'all. But the point is, these things do take time. So don't let a market rally be confused with the trend changing. And we actually just had a new jobs report today, where. The unemployment was some crazy number. I don't. I didn't get a chance to check it out before the podcast episode. I will check it out afterwards. But the numbers were like ridiculous. Like they they were basic. I don't think it actually hit this number because I, I hear I heard the guy say it could hit a record for the Great Depression uh, high in percentage terms. But I think he said he it, it it just missed that. But I was like, man, that's it's pretty crazy. So that's the market trend update. I'm adding a different one. I'm going to do top asset classes that I like currently at the moment. And so my top asset classes on my screeners are gold, U.S. treasuries, U.S. software companies, and biotech, a distant fourth, right? And and for those of you who missed a couple of episodes where I talked about my investment process or my investment book, I talked about the different economic seasons and based on the season, different asset classes do well. If you can get the season right, you can know what asset classes you like. And so these asset classes are based on the read of the season. These are the asset classes that I currently like right now. But you'll hear the at the end, the disclaimer, this is not investment advice. Seek your own counsel. But I'm going to start adding top asset classes every week so you can know what I'm looking at, know what I like. All right, let's get into the, the questions of the week. Why is an investment plan important? So Pretty much anything in life. If you're going to travel somewhere, you need to have a travel plan. If you're going to work out, working out with a well-defined plan gets you better results than working out without a plan. Paying off debt. Paying off debt with a plan gets you better results than without a plan, right? Knowing where your money goes, to which account, looking at your budget. So from an investment standpoint, I find a lot of people are only focused on what should I buy or should I buy now? And they're missing the whole part of the plan. Like they're missing, what are the rules for buying? So a rule is not, I got a tip from somebody, or I heard that I should buy 
um, this stock, it's a rule, right? It's okay to even like get ideas, but you take that idea and then you run it through your process for the rules for buying stock, right? So a rule might be, I'm not going to buy stocks under the 200-day moving average, or I won't buy stocks that have a debt-to-income ratio greater than five, or I won't buy stocks that don't have earnings or revenue growth over this period of time, right? So you want to have rules for the stocks you will buy and the stocks that you won't buy, and you have the process in place for your rules. What most people don't realize is you don't have to, like you can miss a lot of really good stocks. You can miss a lot of them. And as long as your rules help you get some investments that potentially can make money over time, you can do really, really well. But you want to set those rules in place and, and have the rules based on time-tested principles, research, do the work. Don't just take somebody's rules and, and guess, but do the work. N- another example is, this is what I see a lot. I don't, you know, even if somebody has buy rules or, and they're semi-okay, I don't see anybody with sell rules. Like, okay, when you buy it, when when do you sell? Do you sell at w- all at once? Do you sell some? You know, do you do what's called scale out and scale in? Buy, you know, buy a third at this point point a third at this point a third at this point and then sell a third at this point third at this point third at this point like there's a lot of things you got to think through as far as how you buy how you sell how much do you buy and sell right do you put 10 percent of your money in there five percent 20 percent right that is going to dictate your return like how much money you have in each investment is the biggest factor on uh, on return you can own the best performance stocks of a year but if it's only two percent of your portfolio it's not going to do much for your portfolio and what's the process and system you use for determining uh, how much? Are you going to own stocks? Are you going to own ETS? Are you going to own mutual funds? All that kind of stuff. But having a well-written-out plan, I, I had a couple people say, Philip, you're so calm in situations like the markets are going crazy, the world is going crazy. How are you so calm? Because I have a plan. Like, if I have a bunch of if-then statements that I are, I don't even think the process is the work was done when I built the process. And so now as things happen, I just follow the process. I can stay calm, collect it, because I'm not, I'm not thinking in the moment. It's kind of like, I don't know if I mentioned, but I, I took up Muay Thai. I've been wanting to work out. And so, you know, I was like boxing. I was like mixed martial arts. I did a little bit of grappling and wrestling. So I was like, I want to do some, um, some striking. So I'm taking this. And one thing about fighting, period, is you practice and 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 you, practice and you get muscle memory and you... You have different situations that happen because when you're in a fight and the emotions and intensity is high, of course, you're going to think as much as you can. But a lot of it is just muscle memory and reaction and you doing the right preparation because you don't have a ton of time to think when your emotions are high and you're trying to like not get knocked out. And so the same thing in investments, like when your emotions high and things are going, if you haven't done the work ahead of time, you're going to quote unquote get knocked out. (laughs) And so, a that's the that's the importance of a you know having a plan and having accountability and a financial advisor or wealth manager to help you so you can borrow their process. But that's question number one. Next question: What's the difference between a good bet and a bad bet? I like this question because some people. Let me not go nerd. Let me just backtrack it this way. So, I play dominoes. Um okay with spades, but no, I would not play spades for money. I'll play dominoes for money. I wouldn't play spades for money. I don't know how to play poker. And I've never learned because everybody who's wanted to teach me uh, requires me to come in with some money. I'm like, no, like you're going to get me. I don't know how to play. 
<laughs> and and learning online is tough. So I haven't picked up poker yet. But I do understand that they are they are games of odds. And I do understand like with dominoes that especially if you're playing with somebody who know who don't know how to play, a lot of times they might even win a hand just because of, just because of luck of the hand. Like they, they won the hand, but they played the hand terribly. And so what you know in that situation is if y'all just keep playing, you're going to eventually win most of the games because they confuse winning the hand with skill, right? And so the same applies in investing. Some people say, oh, I made that investment based on some terrible process or no process at all and made some money, and they confuse that with skill. What's going to eventually happen is they keep playing that bad hand and the market's going to take their money and take a lot of it, right? And then the, and the reverse is true. You know, people will say, oh, Philip, you said blah, blah, blah at this point, and, you know, that's what your indicator said. It didn't work out. I'm like, yeah, but still was a good bet because the odds were in the favor. I played the hand appropriately, and if I play the hand appropriately, month in, quarter in, year in, year out, right, over time, you're supposed to make money just like in any other deal. So, a bad bet is playing the wrong hand. A good bet and a bad bet has nothing to do with making money. It has zero to do with making money. It has everything to do with making good decisions, right? Good good decision-making is the key, and, and everything is a habit. If you get in the habit of making bad decisions, bad bets, I'm telling you, one day, going back to the fight analogy, if you win a fight without protecting your, your face because you got lucky, cool, keep doing that. One day you're going to get knocked out and you'll get knocked out more times than not if you keep doing that bad habit. So build some good habits by A, having an investment plan, but then B, knowing the odds and sticking to your process. Again, this is a process-focused episode if y'all can't tell. Really, all of my episodes are process-focused, but I'm going deep on the process, y'all. Next question. Why is the stock market going up while the economy is bad? So the stock market is almost never is trading on what's going on currently at the moment. It's a, the stock market is always trying to predict, you know, some people say six months out, some people say 10 months out, 18 months out. I don't really know what the number is, but I know it's not, it's not looking at what's happening today. It's saying, okay, based on what's going on, what do we, you know, what do we think is going to happen in the future? And so that's why you can see the stock market going up, when employment is going down and things are just getting better and better because maybe that stuff already got priced in before. And the other is what I mentioned before, in a bear market, you have multiple rallies. Those rallies are almost always have big periods of time where it's aggressive on the upside. I listened to one podcast and I have not verified it, but the guy said something to the extent of in bear markets, uh, there's more up days and down days. And I was like, huh, I need to check that out, right? And look for that study. But it kind of makes sense because when the market drops in a bear market on the days and times it drops a lot, like it drops a lot, like in a bear market, when it drops, it's going to, it's going to drop a lot in a day or a week or have a really bad month, right? The rest of it's going to be kind of sideways. And so I was like, huh, I kind of intellectually understand why that makes sense, but I got to do the work, but, but the concept makes sense. So that's the answer, right? It's bear markets take longer than, than than what happens and the market is anticipating the future that's why the economy can be getting worse but the stock market can still be going up next question philip what is currency risk and i believe i did a short episode on this before but i thought i would i would bring it back in this specific question because i couldn't remember what episode i did this on i think it was a while back 
So here's why currency risk is important, right? What is currency, right? Currency is like we live in the U.S., we trade in dollars. Most of the business in the world is traded in dollars. But if you were in U.K., you would use the pound. That would be your cash. If you were in uh, Mexico, your money or your currency would be the peso. What's Canada's? I don't know what Canada's money's called. I don't really know. Canadian dollar. Canadian dollar. Thanks, Steve. The Steve with the assist. Canadian dollar. <laughs> but basically, uh, currencies are your cash. And so there's different asset classes. We know about stocks. We know about bonds. We know about commodities. We know about real estate. And, and, a, and a lot of us keep keep cash. And, and so a lot of us may keep you know some cash for for different things. But if you're if you're not paying currency risk is going to obviously affect your cash. Can it buy more goods and services in the future? And it's also going to affect, I'll keep it simple and just talk about cash, because it does affect your stocks and real estate, but that's a whole episode. But let's just stick to cash for now. To give you some context and history, there were roughly 750 currencies that existed since 1700. Only 20% remain, and all of them have been devalued. What is devalued? Devalued means... They made it worthless. They made the currency able to buy less goods and services in the current and in the future, right? And why is that important? Well, when you put money in the bank for cash, you're basically saying, hey, listen, I don't need this right now, but I'm going to need it in the future to buy something that I need. And if a currency devalues, then that means you can buy less of those goods in the future and you're actually like losing purchasing power. Your your dollar value might stay the same, but the value of it and what it can buy changes, which is which is painful, right? And so whenever countries, obviously, when the currency goes away, that's easy. The money's no longer worth anything. So you can understand that. Uh, but when the but devaluations, when it goes down, the people that it hurts the most are holders of money and debt. So if you own government bonds, which is the future delivery of currency, future delivery of money, uh, that's going to hurt and if you hold a bunch of cash that's going to hurt and so you you, you really want to think about currency risk and 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 now's a time where it is like really really important because when companies print money that over the long term is not good for the holders of bonds and money so think it through i know the last three or four episodes you, you people have been saying philip man you've been really beating up cash yeah like more than normal because if you understood the level of currency risk in the world right now you would be thinking the same way. I'm going to have lots of data points where, you know, when things go down, people are going to say, oh, yeah. And by the way, to reverse it, I still have some cash. So I'm not saying, like, don't have any cash. Uh, and, I don't, and I don't think that the dollar's going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I'm not, I'm not Armageddon scenario. But what I am saying is a lot of people are hiding in cash and not being smart about being diversified and, putting their money in things that do well if the high currency risk plays out. And so that's that's all. It's just like I always say, be be thoughtful. Don't think that your money is safe just because it's in cash in the bank, because it's not. Next question. What is OPEC and why are they important? If you've seen the oil move in the last, you know, few weeks and but probably before that, you heard you probably heard the terms OPEC. And, and all that kind of stuff. So let me explain who OPEC is, and I'll go into why they're important. So o- OPEC is like a cartel. I think it's the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. So basically, it's a cartel. You know how you have you know, drug cartels or... And it's crazy. I'm a side note for a second. 
companies can't get together to collude on prices in America, but OPEC comes together to collude on oil prices. You know, they don't, they want to have a system to do what they can to control oil prices, similar to the central banks, right? The central banks try to control interest rates and they collude as well, which is a whole nother episode. But OPEC is trying to control the price of oil. So the members are Saudi Arabia, Iran, Indonesia, Kuwait, uh, UAE, Libya, Nigeria, Venezuela, Congo, Angola, Algeria, Gabon, Iraq. Uh, and, and Russia is what's called OPEC Plus. So they're not part of OPEC, but they coordinate with OPEC. And, and so um, all of these countries have make a lot of money in oil. They have a lot of oil reserves and it's in their vested interest to keep the oil price as high as possible. And so um, the cartel, basically, in the civil terms, as I mentioned before, just does what they can to coordinate to control the price of oil. And that's that's who they are. Now, why is that important as an investment? Well, because they're just like we watch the central bank to figure out what they're going to do as far as flooding the market with liquidity. You pay attention to OPEC because... If if they flood the market or restrict the market with oil, that's going to dictate oil prices, and that affects your investments and affects the price that we pay for 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 our fuel. And so you want to look at it's like you look at central banks. You want to look at OPEC and what their policies are and what they're doing because it's going to impact your investments a lot. As as a matter of fact, it's probably safe to say that OPEC and central banks have a huge impact on economies. Their policies have two of the biggest impacts on the, on economies and what they do, and so it's important to know who they are, what their intentions are or incentives are, uh, and just pay attention. Next question: What should my investment allocation be if I'm ten to fifteen years from retirement? This question depends. It depends on will you will you need the money in your four hundred one k or IRA or Roth or investment account? How much money do you have from pensions? How much are you going to get from Social Security? Uh, a lot of times, the majority of money in 401ks, if there's a pension or a 401k involved, is probably not going to be needed. And so that allocation might be a bit more uh, aggressive than somebody who is going to need a big chunk of the money. So you first want to have a plan and determine how much of your investment you're going to actually need. But let's assume that you're somebody who's going to need a lot of it uh, or most of it, if not all of it. And so that that allocation for that person, they definitely shouldn't be aggressive uh, but a, a moderate allocation probably is reasonable, you know, without knowing all the facts and just giving a general blind allocation. And, and what's moderate? Moderate somewhere between 50 to 70 percent stocks and 30 to 50 percent bonds uh, as an allocation. But but a moderate portfolio would be great for somebody who is 10 to, to 15 years for retirement in a plain vanilla scenario without knowing all the facts. But I would never like listen to this and then go implement it without having a plan and incorporating all those facts because they matter a lot, a whole lot in the context of what the investment portfolio should be. Next question. Actually, this is not a question. This is a new I'm 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 kinda add some consistent themes to each podcast. So, you know, I have the the the, the intro with the market trend, my favorite asset classes at the end, I'm gonna go with my common investor uh, mistakes and my parting ideas. So common investing mistake, overconfidence. Overconfidence, overconfidence. I'm going to stick with the fight theme. So overconfident fighters, they um, they don't, a lot, of, they, a lot of them just don't protect themselves. They don't, they leave their face exposed 
and they and they charge too much. And if you're patient and you wait, you, you you're gonna almost always find time to like knock them out uh, and drop them. And so um, because they're overconfident. So don't be an overconfident investor because you're gonna get knocked out. An example is people who are not assessing the risk in the market don't have a process, don't know a good bet or a bad bet, and they're investing in things that are relatively risky in this market right now. And they think just because it went up over the last few weeks that they're safe and they increase their their risks in those asset classes. That's, in my opinion, being overconfident. Matter of fact, I have, what made me think of this is I have a, a client who has his own portfolio. And, and we've talked multiple times about the trend over the last two years of having your money in companies that are making money with low debt and have a monopoly. He's lost money in companies that we're not in that trend. We've talked multiple times and then he sent me some stocks that he owns and all of them but one, which is one which is the one me and him talked about, uh, and one that I own for my clients in his portfolio. All of them were the company I said don't buy. And I just like, are you are you kidding me? But it's overconfidence. You know, a young guy making a lot of money. He'll do what he do. And the crazy part is his chin has been checked a couple times, you know, in, in the investing terms. But I guess sometimes people got to get hit multiple times to, un, to to learn the lesson. So don't be overconfident because you, you waste unnecessary money. Parting idea, the value of a coach. So going back, here's my thing, the Muay Thai theme. I could have watched videos on YouTube and just like practice some moves. But the value of a coach is somebody gave me a specific workout plan based on where I was. We look at, I record my stuff. I get feedback on the videos. And from each session, I learn a whole lot more in the context of me than if I were just watching the videos without the feedback. And so the the value of a coach and anything that you want to do, if you want to be excellent at it, is important. If you want to get in better shape, have somebody train you. If you want to become a better basketball player, have somebody train you. If you want to become a better investor, have an advisor to train you. Somebody who's credible, right? There's all these overnight, fly-by-night investing courses with people who just started investing four years ago and know how to market on Facebook. I wouldn't do that. But I would I would make sure that you are thoughtful about who you work with to help you reach your financial goals or whatever goals that are important to you. Like The value of experience is priceless, in my opinion. As a matter of fact, I'm not a big fan of college. I was good in school. You know, it worked for me. But I think the whole definition of it is going to change, especially my boys. Like, um, whatever they want to do, I would much rather them say, hey, Dad, these are the top people in in the profession that I want to go after. Instead of going to college, how about I go work? For, can you subsidize my living so I can work for them for free for a year or two? Mm, absolutely. I would do that in a heartbeat. That would be a no-brainer. There would not even be a discussion. I would be like, hey, you get the... And by the way, think of any successful person who wouldn't say yes to an aggressive, you know, somebody who has the the foresight, the insight to understand the value of that and then work for free because they're giving, not asking for anything, not asking for money. Just like, hey, what, you're selling the book. I help you do that. Like, what do you need me to do? I'm here and you don't got to pay me. Like, who would say no to that? And and the experience and the contacts and the networks will position that person to, in two years, be way more prepared than the person that did a four-year degree, took out student loans for that, then even got, then maybe got a master's and then took out a bunch of more student loans for that. Like, it would not even be close. Like, 
as far as skills, money made, excellence. And so the value of a coach is really important. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode and talk to you next week. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.